Right, so let's read together God's Word, Mark 14. And I think it's good to just read the whole passage again, to just get the whole flow of thought and the arguments of, of, of Mark. So let's read from verse 53 up until the end of the chapter. These are the words of the living God. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And as he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the gods received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it, and after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. That's the reading of God. So let's just pray together. Father, thank you for your word that is clear and open and honest about our sin, about our failures, about how the depth of our failure. Thank you that you don't hide anything from us. Lord, thank you that your word is like a, a sword that cuts into our hearts, that shows us the intentions of our hearts. And Father, I pray that you will use the story of your child, Peter, to show us our own desperate need to watch and pray every hour to rely on you and not to rely on ourselves. But most importantly, use this story, Lord, to remind us again of your grace, of your goodness, of your kindness. Father, I pray that you would lead us to, to repentance, that we might live for you and stand in the face of persecution and suffering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, you might have heard me say this, but one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it is brutally honest. 
brutally honest. It is honest about our, what our problem really is. It is honest about the extent of the evil in our own hearts. It is honest about the reality of sin, sickness, death, suffering, and depression. It is honest about how dark and how bad this world can get and will get when it rejects its creator when it, and worships the creation instead of the creator. But what is also amazing is about how open and honest the Bible is, not just about our problems outside of us, but also how open and honest the Bible is about the failures of God's people. I find that quite sometimes refreshing and also sometimes shocking as well. Just think of one example in the Old Testament, the man after God's own heart, David. David, the man who wrote half of the Psalms, most of the Psalms, the shepherd boy who trusted God, killed the giant, killed the lion, killed the bear, and said, God will deliver this Philistine into my hand. And the David who committed adultery with Bathsheba, the same David who murdered her husband to try to cover up the pregnancy of Bathsheba. That's the same David. <laughs> the Bible is honest. And this afternoon, we are looking at another such an example of one of the failures, the dark spot in the life of Peter, Peter the rock, the one that Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And I think why these types of stories are included in the Bible is to remind us that even in the best of people, you will find sin, you would find failure, you would find great failure. This really is, Peter's life here is a good and a great example of what happens when we refuse to follow Jesus' counsel in the garden. Remember what Jesus said to Peter right before this moment. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Peter's denial of Jesus is the spiritual catastrophe that will happen if you are watchless and prayless. This is the story. This is what will happen to you and to me if we refuse that counsel as well. But... It is also a reminder that there's only one in the Bible that's perfect. When we see all the characters of the Bible, everyone fail without exception, except one, the Lord Jesus. He's the only one who's perfect. He's the only one who never failed. He's the only one who, when the, the temptation came, that he always obeyed, always succeeded, courageously stood up. He is the champion. He is the real David who kills our Goliath. He's the real one that wins our victory on our behalf. And the good news is that he did this for you as well. He's the same today. So what we'll do is we'll move through the text. We'll move through the text together and then we'll just close with three applications. So we'll move through the passage and then we'll close with three applications that we can take away. So remember that this is another Mark and Sandwich, right? Remember that Mark begins the story of Peter interrupted with, with, with Jesus' trial, and then he, he ends it again with Peter at the end. And remember, what Mark is doing is making a contrast between what Jesus is doing and what Peter is doing. There's a contrast of witnessing. There's a contrast of faithfulness of Jesus and the failure of Peter. You see, Jesus laying down his life. He doesn't try to save his life in this world. He gives it up so that he may take it up again. You see, he's the living example of if you lose your life, you will gain it. That's why Jesus is also the example here for us. He follows God's will no matter the cost. 
Peter, on the other hand, is the opposite. Peter tries to save his life. Peter is clinging onto his life because he's scared of dying. He's scared of being persecuted, so he denies Jesus. See, Jesus is the faithful witness. Peter joins the false witnesses of the trials. He joins the lies. But as we will see, there's also a gospel application for us, even in the midst of it. So look at verse 54. Look at verse 54. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So here we already start to sense that something is not right. Notice how he's following Jesus at a distance. He's following Jesus, but he's, he's just far enough to be safe, just far enough that he won't risk his life. So already here, we're already seeing that Peter is not really counting, the, Peter is not willing to do the self-denial and to pick up his cross. And it was probably as he was sitting by the fire warming himself that the little servant Gore was peer, peering through the flames, the light, looking at Peter and recognizing him. Look at verse 66 to 67, the other end of the, the sandwich. It says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. So as we've read as well, this was one of the, the servant of the high priest. This was the servant girl of the high priest. Now she might have been wondering, haven't I seen this man before? Sorry, John's gospel said that the, the, high, the servant of the, the, the high priest was leading Peter into the courtyard. So she was the access that, that Peter needed to get in. Now, when probably while she was leading Peter and while she was looking at Peter, like, haven't I seen this man before? Haven't I seen this man with Jesus in the temple? He looks familiar. So, so she makes this accusation. He says, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. Now, that's, that's, that's significant because that title, Nazarene, was actually a derogatory statement. It was another, another blow to say, oh, are you of that man, the Nazarene, those unsophisticated, uneducated people? That's how the people in Nazareth were, were viewed. Are you of that type of a man? So there's also an added shame effect to this question as well. With that guy? Just on a side note, I've heard many people talk about Peter here as being scared of a little girl. And to, to be honest, I think that is an unfair assessment of what Peter is going through here. I do not think Peter is scared of the girl. I think Peter is scared of everybody else. Remember, because he's sitting at the fire with the gods. There are gods around him. And remember, this servant is not just any servant. This servant girl is the servant girl of the high priest. So if she gets the information to the right people, the wrong people, Peter is in trouble. So here comes the first strike of the dark spot in Peter's life. Look at verse 68. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. Notice that he doesn't just say, I don't know him. He makes a twofold claim. That is a total denial. He says, I don't know him intellectually. I've never heard of him. And also, I do not understand what you mean. I have no experiential knowledge with him. I've never met him. I don't know his name. I don't know who he is. And I've never talked to him. I've never had an experience with him. 
I don't know him. You cannot get a more complete denial than a denial of intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge. This is what Peter was saying. And then we re read, he, he goes out into the gateway. He's now moving further away from Jesus. He's moving away from him. So he is in serious danger. And then the rooster crowed. Now, if Peter was, I don't think Jesus' words was registering when he heard it, but that was the sign that Jesus' words are being fulfilled. For now he's safe. Or so he thinks. Because look at the, the next verse, verse 69. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. Who is the servant girl talking to now? To Peter? No, now she's talking to the bystanders. She's beginning to tell other people. Do you feel that the, 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 the tension of the text is really increasing? Peter just wants to, 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 to run away. He wants everybody to be silent. Now everybody is talking. Now everybody's talking about him. The risk is getting bigger and bigger. It's an interesting study to compare how the other Gospels retell the story as well. There are many other voices who start to question Peter. There are many other people that start to ask him questions. So you see, the, the servant girl was like a little fire, a little match that was lighting a whole fire, a whole forest on fire. When she said that this, many more people started to ask him and accuse him and started to confront him. Can you imagine the panic that Peter is in at this moment? Can you imagine the fear that is starting to engulf him in this moment? So Mark simply says in verse 17, but again, he denied it. Strike two. But the more Peter tries to speak, the more he tries to defend himself, the more he's denying it, the deeper he's digging his own grave because now people start to recognize his accent. So it's like he can't win. Look at the rest of verse 17. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. Matthew, Matthew's gospel fills in the gaps for us. Matthew 26 verse 73 says, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. That's why they said, you are a Galilean. We can hear the way you speak. See, now the situation is out of hand. You can sense that the only way for Peter to really escape is to take the most bold step he can take. And that's what he does next. Look at verse 71. But he began to invoke a curse on himself, and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. The Greek just literally reads, he began to curse and to swear. So the ESV translates it as invoking a curse on himself. And I actually think that's a correct translation because that word for curse, the word for curse here means to ask God to curse you if what you say now is wrong. It's one of the ways the Jews swore as well. May God curse me if what I say to you now is a lie. That's what Peter said to you. God curse me if I know that man. The second word, swear, was swearing and cussing. To try to add as much power and effect to show that he does not know this man. You cannot make a stronger claim than this. May God curse me. And I do not know him with cursing and swearing. Strike three. 
And right at that moment, when he said those words, look at what verse 72 says. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Luke's gospel says it was at that moment when he denied Jesus the third time. Luke 22 says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter made eye contact with, you, with Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Can you imagine the shame that Peter might have, must have felt at this moment? He denied Jesus with an oath. He denied him by swearing and cursing. And he denied him while the eyes of his Lord met his and he just knows, and he remembers, and he broke down, and he wept. What else can he do? He failed miserably. He denied his Messiah. He denied his Lord. He denied his rabbi, his master, his king. He almost became a second Judas. So what else is there to do but to break down and to weep? Beloved, this is, this is the sad and the dark spot in Peter's life. One of the greatest saints of God. And I believe here are at least three applications, three applications for us to take away from the story. Number one, the first application we should learn is see the utter failure of self-reliance. See the utter failure of self-reliance. Remember that it was right after Jesus said, that all of them will fall away, that Peter said these words. Look at just back, chapter 14, verse 29. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Beloved, that's self-reliance. He didn't believe Jesus' words. He said, even though they all fall away, I can understand those guys, but not me. I am Peter. I am the rock. And how did that manifest in his life? How did his self-reliance manifest itself in the garden? Instead of praying, he was sleeping. Why pray if you already are strong enough? Why pray? Why rely on God, if you can do it yourself, why watch if you are not capable like others to be tempted? So his fall was great. It's interesting, three times he slept and three times he denied the Lord. Beloved, this is the danger you and I are still in today. The first and the most important sign that you are self-reliant is a lack of prayer. That is the greatest sign of your self-reliance, your pride. The first sign that you don't need God's grace is that you will sleep instead of pray. The first sign of spiritual backsliding is a sinful neglect of your time alone with God. Because why would you need to pray if you are all right? Why would you need to desperately cry out for help not to be led into temptation if you have all the resources in yourself to face the temptation? Why cry for God to help you conquer your sins if you have already mastered your sins? 
Beloved, let this story be a reminder to you. Let this story of Peter's failure be a warning to you as well. The greatest fall of God's people doesn't happen suddenly. I think it was John MacArthur that says, when people fall, they only fall a small distance. And what he meant was, there was already a thousand other falls happening before the public one, or before the big one. There was a thousand other compromises happening on, on the inside, on the secret, in the secret place, so that when the public massive failure happened, that it looked big, but it was only actually a very small distance. So beloved, are you self-reliant? Test yourself. Are you watching and praying over your own heart, over your own sin? Beloved, this text calls you, calls me to repent. That's what we must do. Repent of your self-confidence. Repent of your spiritual laziness. Repent of the idea that prayer is optional. Repent of the idea that you are capable, that you are not capable of the very sins that you see in others. Let us all adopt the saying of one of the Puritans when they saw people on death row, walking on death row, they would say, there but for the grace of God go I. Let us all accept that we are all capable of the worst sins, but by the grace of God. Let us exchange our self-reliance for a reliance on God. A reliance on Him in prayer. And there is enough grace for us for our daily battle. So let us seek Him together. So that's the first lesson. First application is see the utter failure of self-reliance. Secondly, let us learn from this text the great extent of God's grace. Let us learn from this text the great extent of God's grace. If there would be any man in the Bible who would struggle to really believe that God has forgiven him, it would be Peter, wouldn't it? He promised that he would never deny Jesus. Then he did it. He broke his own promise in the face of danger. He used the strongest possible language, asking God himself to curse him, to judge him if he lied. So what does Peter deserve? He deserves God's curse. He deserves God's judgment. In short, Peter deserves hell. Peter deserves to go to hell for what he's done. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 8, the warning again that he said to, to his disciples, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He also said, whoever denies me before men, him will I deny before my father and the angels. Peter qualifies for those words. If there is anyone who should go to hell, it is him. And yet, what do we see in the rest of the Bible? What do we see happen to this man called Peter? What did Jesus do with this man called Peter? He completely forgives him. Completely restores him. He cleanses him with his own blood. He dies for him, for all of his sins. And he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know. You know I do. Jesus changed his heart and kept loving him even though he failed. 
That is the contrast we need to make with the sandwich as well. Not only the faithfulness of Jesus and the unfaithfulness of Peter, but also that Jesus actually takes the place of Peter. Peter is the guilty one, but Jesus is condemned. Peter deserves death and Jesus goes and dies. Peter is the unrighteous. Jesus is the righteous who takes the punishment for his sins. Perhaps the best words to summarize this is Peter's own words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where he writes later. Listen to 1 Peter 3, 18. Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, that he might bring us to God. Beloved, this is why he came. He came for sinners. He came for people like Peter, for people like you. You might think, my sins are too big, my failures are too many, I'm sinning too frequently. But I do not think you can beat Peter. <laughs> I do not think you can beat him at this stage. I'm sure if you were to ask Peter, you would say, I am the chief. I am the worst. Beloved, if God can forgive Peter, he can forgive you. So listen to me. Not just of some of your sins, but of all your sins. No matter how dark, no matter how black, no matter how deep those sins goes, His grace goes even deeper. So repent. Turn to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Come to Him as well for not just the grace you need to stand, but the grace you need to be forgiven. He promises that all those who come to Him, He will never cast out. Will you come right now? Why don't you come right now? And receive from him forgiveness for your sins, your failures. So we learn the, the utter failure of self-reliance. We learn that God's, the great extent of God's grace. And lastly, this text also calls us as disciples to die for Christ. To be willing to die for him and to confess him unashamedly. The text really shows us the opposite of what true discipleship looks like, right? To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. Now, we might not face the type of temptation that Peter did when our physical lives are literally in danger, which, by the way, many of our brothers and sisters do face in other countries. But our temptation in Pochestrum or where you come from, university, the culture, might be more subtle, but even but still not, not less powerful. Um, I, I listened to an Ask Pastor John um, podcast, and he said, one of, the question was, what do you say to evangelicals, to those who confess to be Christians, what do you say to evangelicals who affirm so-called same-sex marriage? So that was the question to John. What do you say to, to those who say they're Christian and also say that it's good and right to have a homosexual marriage? And his answer really, really struck me. One, I think it was maybe the introduction part, but he said, you know what is his vision for desiring God in 10 years from now? So what, what does he wanna, what, how does he want desiring God to be like, to look like in 10 years from now? He said this, to be unashamed of the Bible. That's it. He wants in 10 years from now, Desiring God to be unashamed of what the Bible says. And I think that is going to be our temptation as well, beloved. 
That's going to be your temptation as well, to be ashamed of his words, to be ashamed of this book, to be ashamed of what he has said. The world is increasing in its hostility, its hatred towards Christians, its hatred towards the Bible and the Christian worldview. And our challenge is, will we stand with what this book says? Will we believe it, no matter the cost? Or will we cave under the pressure? Will we cave under the pressure of what the world thinks, of what the world esteems, what the world values? And this is just the, the, the call of discipleship. Jesus calls us to die. He calls us to follow Him on the same road of shame, on the same road of denying ourselves. You need to die to your own reputation. To your own reputation. Our popularity, what people think of us. Maybe, maybe the Lord will call you even to lose your life. Like our family or lose your family, lose your co-workers, lose your friends because you believe in Christ, because you follow Him. You must say, but how, how do we do this? How can we ever do this? How is anyone strong enough to stand for this? Well, it all begins again by watching and praying. It all begins again with what Peter didn't do, to watch and pray. If people then, and then after you've watched and prayed, when people ask you what you believe, just say what you believe. Don't be ashamed. Tell the truth. Be willing to openly associate with him and who he is. And beloved, that's my, my plea for us and my prayer for us as well, that this church, however tiny we might be, might be faithful in 10 years from now. That we too might be unashamed of what the Bible says. May we all follow our suffering Messiah, our suffering Messiah on the road of suffering, of shame, of mocking, and even of death. And then look forward. Look to the reward. Jesus himself, Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the shame. He despised the shame. He endured the cross and he despised the shame. That is the power that should enable us as well. For the joy set before us, endure the mocking of man. Because the worst they can do is kill the body. But fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear Him. And then remember, no amount of shame, no amount of suffering, no amount of mocking us as God's people can ever separate us from His love. Yes, we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered, but we are more than conquerors through him who strengthens us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. I just want to give a few moments of silent prayer. Let's just use this time to respond to the word of God, to respond to God through Jesus by the Spirit. Let us Call out to him and let us respond in our hearts to him. Let us use this time now.
Father, we are so, so sorry for every moment, for every time that we were ashamed of your word, ashamed of Jesus. Father, please forgive us. Please lead us to repentance. Father, thank you that even for these type of sins, these failures, these dark spots on our lives and the life of your servant, Peter, that there is abundant grace for you have died and you have risen from the dead and one day you will come again and wipe away every tear from our eyes and so we will be with the Lord forever. Father, I pray that we would meditate on the joy set before us, that we would always think of our destiny and let that empower us, let that hope in us empower us to deny ourselves, to lay down our lives and to follow Jesus. Father, thank you that you are faithful and I pray that you would cause us as well to be watchful and prayerful. Help us to do the prior work of always praying, of, of being watchful over our own sin, of not being self-reliant but relying only on you for our spiritual victory. And then give us the grace, Lord, to stand, the grace to, to endure, the grace to suffer as a Christian. As 1 Peter 4 says, let us entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Lord, let us do that for your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.